Welcome to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast. Welcome to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast, and we're thrilled to be joined by Alexander Fudbeck. He's a Dutch environmentalist, a public speaker, a former diplomat and a strategic policy advisor for the Netherlands Ministry of Foreign Affairs. He's over 30 years experience working on international security, humanitarian and geopolitical risk issues, and also linking those to the Earth's um, accelerating environmental crisis. He's also policy director of the EDRC, which is the Environment and Development um, Resource Centre in Brussels. Um, Alexander, many thanks for joining us today. Happy to be here, Ness. Great. Um, well, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please, and, and what you do? Well, <laughs> you just <laughs> did in, 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 in many lines. Um, a lot of that is former, and that's so much easier. It's, it's so much easier to say, you know, I'm a former diplomat, and then people kind of have an idea of what that is. Um, for now, I'm, I'm, I'm working on a lot of different things. When I, when I left diplomacy in, in late 2015, um, I became a public speaker. I spoke all over the world about all kinds of environmental issues and the impact on environment on, on security. Um, but that all stopped during during the pandemic. And then I picked up all kinds of other things that I've been working on. I'm, I'm uh, associated or have been associated with all kinds of institutions uh, where, where I was was active. Um, I'm writing more nowadays, so I started this uh, newsletter, The Planet, that, that's now read by thousands of people. Um, so I hope that people that listen here uh, sign up and, uh, and, and, and join to that as well, The Planet on, at uh, Substack. Uh, I do um, uh, consultancy, I'm involved with some water projects. Uh, I'm This afternoon I'll prepare a speech that I'll give at, at COP26 uh, tomorrow. Um, I'm uh, it's it's uh, I'm involved with um, uh, Kaleidoscope Travel, which is um, a, a a travel agency. Um, I could probably go on. I normally have like somewhere between ten and twenty projects that all have some kind of environmental angle in it, and uh, some get at certain moment more attention than others. And I'm I'm kind of juggling all these things together. So I'm still working on some kind of elevator pitch where, <laughs> where I can say online what I'm doing. And then I normally say environmentalists, but yeah, what is an environmentalist? And somebody active on environmental issues. I see myself more as an activist than, than, than anything else. I, I really try to, to work towards a better, um, a better planet and, and more responsibility and more equality in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's, it's difficult to catch. So if you have a good suggestion for, for a better catchphrase, I'm, uh, I'm all ears. Okay, I'll work on it and uh, I'll let you know. <laughs> um, I mean, what inspired you to work in, in geopolitics in the first instance and sort of what's, what inspired your love for the natural world? Yeah, well, geopolitics and love for natural world is two different things. I, I, I think the love for natural world started it starts in your upbringing i think i i grew up in 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 a village and my parents loved to go out camping in the summer so you stay in a tent somewhere in nature and and that kind of thing and i think my my grandfather may have been a great influence so he, he was born in 1900 and he was the tenth child in a in a farmer's family and 
being the last one and and maybe having the best brains of all he was the one that was um, uh, selected to get better education so he walked two hours every day to school and then later walking two hours back for four hours a day um, and he became a teacher the rest was all stayed in this this farming community and so when i knew him i knew him quite well he he, he died when I was 24 and then he was uh, he was really an old man in his 80s and then in his life he had made a good career he'd been you see pictures of him in in the 19 1940s and 50s really looking like a distinguished uh, gentleman but when he was back in his 80s he he still these these old farmer roots were coming back so I, I have these child memories of working with him in the garden and he's telling me about plants and animals and that kind of stuff so I think that that kind of triggered a love for for the, the natural world that has, has never left me. And yeah, the interest in, in geopolitics is something else. I, I, I think one of my oldest hobbies that has always stayed with me is a love for cartography. I'm always looking on, on maps. And when I got older in, in my high school years, I started to find out more about why are those borders on those maps and I started reading about countries and I got got interested in in history how those borders got there and also about what what what, what the present problems are between these countries often often you know what what is happening uh, left and right of a border and, and what are the different views on how you should how should how you should govern a country so I think from from geography or cartography i think this um that that has influenced a lot in my life i, th I think this 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 interest in geopolitics also interest in geography i started i studied human geography because i i wanted to specialize in historical cartography uh i think in in all of europe there's only one professor in that field so it's it's a very specialist niche and while I was studying geography to later be able to specialize in cartography, I discovered that I liked the development studies much more. So I took that course. And then from development studies, I ultimately ended up as uh, becoming a diplomat. It's fascinating. It really is. I, I, I'm, I'm with you again on the map side of things. You kind of like when you look at the map and you've got like straight lines, you know, across Africa and things and you think, well, you're going through people's land and it's like, you know, there's tribal things going on. And yeah, that sort of, yeah, I can imagine, you know, obviously you had the opportunity when you became a diplomat to be able to make a difference and to kind of like, you know, to get those conversations going and um, must have, must have been an amazing, really fascinating time. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating world to, to live in. And yeah, it's, um, I think we will only need more diplomats in the years to come, yeah. because I'm, I'm quite worried about what's happening in the world now. It's, yeah. it's from an environmental point of view, but also um, from a geopolitical point of view, uh the, the 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 tensions are growing higher inequality is increasing and 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 the environmental crisis is only only aggravating all of that so it's it's uh, let's say climate change and the rest i mean when i speak about climate change i often also mean the the the, the loss of biodiversity and the pollutions all, all the all the environmental crisis together they only make an already uh tense situation worse the stakes are getting higher 
and um, and then there's a lot of people especially the poor people in the poor countries the ones that are least responsible for all of this that uh that will be the first and 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 uh, the first hit and 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 the ones that are most hit by 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 all these changes that are that are going to come yeah. so um yeah but we we will need good diplomats to um to to find a a a successful way out of this um out of out of out of this all this mess of all these different crises that are impacting and impacting each other it's a kind of negative spiral downwards mm -hmm. and there are opportunities to change it in a positive spiral upwards but then we need the right political will and the right visionary leaders to 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 get us out of this yeah absolutely yeah i think you're right as well about you know about diplomats i mean the, the whole that, that old-fashioned thing of saying jaw 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 not war 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 i mean you know for so many things if we just sat down all you know together and and spoke and discussed options and calmly <laughs> um with an open mind um and um i mean you know the old old school diplomats as well were so versed in history and and politics and things so that when they did sit down with somebody, they would have an understanding of the people they were speaking with. It, it, it seems like there seems to be a bit that there seems to be a bit of a, a disconnect there in, in terms of education, people sort of being fast tracked into some diplomatic um, uh, routes, I think. But um, anyway, <laughs> um, I mean, if, if just let's just sort of go sort of circle back on something nice, really. I mean, what for you is, is special about our planet? I mean, I, I love your, um, and I'm going to give another plug to your newsletter, The, the Planet, um, which people can find on Substack. And I will put a link on the blurb that goes with the, the podcast and also on the journal of biophilicdesign.com. Um, but yeah, I mean, your, your newsletter is fantastic because you share photographs and images of nature as well as talk about political issues. And, and it's so rich in its diversity, a bit like, a bit like nature, actually, that there's all these different diverse aspects to nature. Your, your newsletter reflects that in, in, on, on many sort of ways, symbolic and other. Um, but for you, what's, what's so special about the planet? Well, you just mentioned the word diversity, and I think that is... That is maybe the catchphrase that catches it. Uh, I mean, imagine this this vast universe that we are in. That is just to, to give an impression. There's literally more grains of sand on all the beaches in the world than there are stars in the universe. Mm. So just grab, you know, one hand of, of of sand next time you're on the beach and 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 try to count them, and and then imagine how fast this universe is. And that the universe is is some people find it fascinating. I think it's fascinating too, but, but to a large extent, it's boring because it is dark and empty and cold and not much is happening there. And then suppose you're, you're, you're some kind of, of Martian flying through, through the universe. And then suddenly you land on this planet and you say, wow, now we found, you know, a real gem. This is a, a pretty small planet, but look how beautiful it is. You have all these different forms of life on this planet, in the oceans and on the land and 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 all the variety, how, how this evolution has been taking place on this planet and, and, and creating this diversity, how beautiful it is. And, and then in the story of this planet, it is it's only if if I recently wrote about but you've, you've heard this before in other places, I'm sure. But if, if you if you compress 
the history of of the planet Earth, those those four and a half billion years into one year. But it's only in 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 the last uh, two seconds before midnight that we start the industrial revolution. Um, and that in, in, in those two seconds, we are dramatically changing the planet. We've done that before uh, the extinction of, of the woolen mammoths, etc. is probably also uh, uh, we're probably to blame for those things as well. But the real dramatic changes is, is only in these past 200 years and especially in the, in the past 50 years. And now suddenly the, the, the best organized and the brightest organism that has ever come out of this evolution is the very same one that is destroying all this beauty and, and is with all our intelligence and with all our ways of cooperating that got us this far, we are not capable of taking the right decisions to save this planet that you know, there's a moral duty to do it anyway, but there's it's there's also self-interest. We are now ruining this planet. So there, so there I am caught between, on the one hand, a deep grief about what we collectively are destroying here. And at the same time, just to, to, to preserve my sanity and, 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 and to sometimes focus my mind on positive things, I see all this beauty that we still have that is at risk. So I'm I'm kind of torn between those those two kind of feelings. And and I'm optimistic by nature. I'm I'm normally a happy guy, liking all the all the positive things in life. So yeah. I I I increasingly focus more on on the beauty of nature. But it, I I can't help myself from writing and telling stories about what's what we're doing wrong on this planet and how urgent it is that we we have not a day to lose to to change our course yeah I, I, again i'm with you on that and this is one of the reasons why i'm doing this biophilic design because i feel if we can bring nature and natural elements into the built environment and people are surrounded by visual representations and and audible kind of like enhancements and stuff so that you know it will, it will then give them an immersive sensitivity and appreciation and respect for nature so they will actually um, action something. I mean, before we go on to um, sort of biophilic design and stuff, I just want to just circle back a little bit. I mean, in your own lifetime, I mean, you've you've worked in like lots of different countries and lots of different places, but over the last, um, I mean, sort of 30 years or, or so, um, I don't want to say or so really, but <laughs> we just keep it as like that. Um, but in sort of in a nutshell, how have you, how have you seen um, climate change? How have you seen it change? Well, the the, mo the most obvious one is, of course, in the media. If you just look, let's say, the five past five years or so, suddenly the newspapers are really writing about uh, all the all the weather extremes and the damage, etc., that they cause. But if I look more in my personal life, if I, um, I was, I was a couple of years ago, I was in Boulder, Colorado, uh, giving a talk to to students. And I told them that when I went on those camping holidays with my parents that I mentioned earlier, when we stopped uh, at, at a gas station, it was my task as, as a young boy to get out and to clean the windshield of, of all, the, all the bugs that were on there. And you, you literally couldn't see anymore. It became this kind of gray blur because of all these, all these, all these dead insects. And when I described this a couple of years ago to these students, they were they didn't believe me 
they said I was exaggerating, etc. And I said, no, it was it was really true. If I if I now drive for a full day, yeah. there might be one bug that that I catch on my windshield. But then it was just thousands and thousands. I mean, and, and that yeah. that change from 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 thousands to just one. Um, is is dramatic. I remember the butterflies in the garden of of my parents. There were literally hundreds of butterflies. It was just so beautiful. And now, in 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 that village, there's just you you never see butterflies anymore. I live now in 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 the Dutch house where where I sometimes live. I I live on an island, and their nature is much more diverse. And and there's 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 still butterflies there quite a quite a lot actually. Um, but there, there's a deliberate policy to to get them back and and to have to sow you know flowers on on the sides of the of the of the farm fields etc. Um, which is which probably brings me to all the positive things that that we can be doing. But I think if there's there's one decisive moment in my life where I was really aware of climate change, that's that's a couple of years. That's maybe now, let's say about ten years ago or so. And I was already for years active on climate change. I was talking about it, how bad it was. And, and it was also part of my work as, as a diplomat. I often had to deal with environmental issues. I was, I was living in Vienna in those days and connected to the, uh, the OSC, the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. And um, I was on holidays in, um, uh, in, in, in the US in... Um, uh, I forgot the name now where I was, but there was this 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 beautiful spot where I was looking at these these. Um, uh, it was in, in in Jackson, I think it's it's. Um, uh, I forgot the name, but uh, you look at these beautiful mountain ranges, and I was standing in wetlands and making making a photographs of these wetlands. And there were some 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 beaver uh, works where were were in the picture, and there was these mountains back. And I took a beautiful picture. That was all like wow, this is a a prize-winning picture and only then when I looked through the lens I realized that all the trees on the picture had died and that was something that I'd read about that I had spoken about in public there was this this these 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 little tiny beavers um, uh, beetles that are living in the bark and they don't die anymore in the winter because the winters are not not cold enough so they have now two cycles every year of reproduction so they're 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 massively expanding and they're they're killing all these pine trees and at that moment i just realized i'm seeing here now climate change through my lens mm -hmm. and i felt a bit betrayed in a way like i was dealing with climate change as my job but now i was on holiday i didn't want to be bothered with you know that that problem that i was professionally dealing about now I was on holiday. I was not supposed to experience climate change. I was supposed to experience beautiful nature. And and it's, I think that was a pivotal moment in my thinking like, wow, this is just, you know, um, e even here, uh, experiencing this. And I was, I was, I was rather shocked by, by everything that I saw. And I later spoke to the rangers there and they, they confirmed that this was really this, this, um, little, people that uh, that was uh, that was doing it
Yeah, it's, I mean, you, you know, you say it's um, things you don't think about. One has a knock-on effect of something else, you know, um, you know they, they got, you know, yeah. you're putting, but the, the bugs, I remember that when I was a kid, hundreds of bugs would be on the window. <laughs> you try to sort of clear it, you couldn't really see out the window and stuff, you know, and um, yeah, it, it's so different. Um, I mean, obviously we're, we're filming this right in the middle of COP26. And as you said, you're gonna give a paper um, on, on Saturday, the 6th of November. Um, but um, I mean, I mean, I, I want to ask you about, a little bit about your thoughts on COP26 and, and how you feel it's going so far. Um, but um, maybe before that, I would also like to ask you, because I know you deal with uh, security issues that have arisen from climate change. Um, Personally, I've I've worked in Africa and and with when you see how nom the nomadic tribes are having you know are, are being made to be stationary, so therefore they're not driving you know their cattle up and down the highlands to the lowlands, and that's having an impact. And how they're becoming more sedentary, they're sort of having you know which is a positive thing for the communities, but they're cutting down the trees to build houses, and you're kind of seeing it. In real time, you're seeing, like you said about the beavers and the uh, sorry, the beetles in the um, in the trees. You can witness the same thing happening with cultures and, and things. And I mean, for you, what's what's one of the sort of um, sort of big security threats that you're seeing as a result of of this of climate change? Well, there's I can't say say there's like the biggest, but just just to mention a few. Um, the there's there's two billion people uh, that are dependent on the waters from the himalayas okay. and they need it for agriculture and they need to know when to plant etc and these glaciers are now rapidly melting so that means you first get too much water because they're melting and at certain moment they are mostly melted away or completely and you don't have the water anymore so this completely, it's often called the third pole after the North and the South Pole that the Himalayas is this, this, this massive chunk of ice that we are now losing. Imagine these two billion people that are dependent for their food on a regular flow of water and then add to this um, the gradual rising of temperatures that changes things anyhow and add to that that the monsoon that is the other source of water that used to be very reliable, you could, you, you could kind of look on your on your watch to know when the monsoon would start it now can easily just start a month earlier or later or be much worse or 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 or, or different than the year before so you can't plan on it anymore and all this at just only what is it 1.1 1.2 degrees warming celsius that we have now we're on track to something like 2.7 or maybe 3 at the end of this century so we're only at at the beginning of climate change. And we already see these kind of effects. Imagine what that will do with security that people at the individual level, families can no longer grow their food. They can no longer feed their children. Uh, they will move away to other places where they can find water, but already there are other people living that, that, that need to make use of the water that is there available, which is, which is not enough. You will get, all kinds of tensions between people, between the countryside and the cities, within cities, between between countries. Um, think about transboundary rivers, etc. Or to give another example, which is more, let's say, the, the, the hard international security. If you look in, at the Arctic, 
now that the ice is melting in the Arctic Ocean, uh, then suddenly what used to be a patch of ice is now an ocean. So it means you can you have a new ocean to defend. Uh, there are huge uh, stakes involved because there's there's all kinds of of, uh, of of minerals and oil that you can now take from the seabed that wasn't there before. But there are different claims of who owns what. Uh, so there are all kinds of tensions while there are uh, are big state, stakes in a situation that is that is rapidly changing. So suddenly, let's say Russia and uh, and and, um, and and the United States that used to be neighbors in in the Bering Strait are now also neighbors on 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 the north side, for instance. Um, so a lot of things are changing there, and and countries that are not really involved in the Arctic want to get involved there, so they try to get to find their way in. So you can think of all kinds of tensions that are related to it. Or as a last one, think about sea level rise. Um, all these people that have to move away from, from the coast sites, because at the end of this century, we may have like a meter of sea level rise if we're unlucky. And if we keep misbehaving as we do, it might go up to something like two meters. And, and that's only end of the century. We have, of course, it's ridiculous to look at 2100. Um, our children will still be alive by then and, and, and their children will live well into the next century. We have to look on a longer scale than this, this 2100 that's always mentioned. But even if you take 2100, just 80 years away from now, um, there is, um, if, you, if you have, let's say, one meter of sea level rise, that is is it's not that you lose one meter of your beach you lose much more i mean if 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 the sea is one meter up it it has such a huge influence on a lot of lands are are uh, are being washed away um it it means you get more salt intrusion uh it it means that uh rivers that have to offload the offload their waters in in a sea cannot do so if that sea is one meter higher so you get you get all kinds of rivers that need much more space and they, they they will become much wider and more unpredictable um especially combined with with more excessive uh, rainfalls etc so this will impact billions of people that live either near the coast or near other areas that that, that will be involved and where are these people going to and who who still owns the land? I, I recently saw an example of a river in Nepal that is now because of the uh, of the of the, 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 the melting of the glaciers. Uh, the river is now much wider and the local population is still paying tax to the authorities for their water, uh, for their land that is underwater permanently. Mm. Um, but by all treaties, they still have to pay tax for it. So they lose their income from the land. And on top of that, they have to pay tax for it. So this is just one example, but, but put this on a massive scale. And you can imagine how much tensions and difficulties are, will arise all over the world. I, I could talk for days about examples of, of, of what's going to happen, but countries must be aware that, um, of, of all the risks of climate change the human security risks and the geopolitical uh, security risks are have to be taken very very serious and it's 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 just another argument 
why it's such a good investment to prepare now for both to avoid climate change, the mitigation, as we call it, uh, but also to work on adaptation and, and make communities more uh, more resilient to, to adapt to all these changes. Yeah, we forget that um, things like that are happening. Like you say, the flooding in Nepal and, and, and how that's going to affect people. I mean, how they how they, you know, see, you know, how, how do the local um, tax offices cope with it? I mean, there's all these different things and then, you know, people are going to rise up and there's all these things. So as you say, we need to mitigate against these things, educate. Um, and yeah, well, if we can, we, we can prevent it, then, then, then better. Um, I mean, obviously COP26 is taking place right now and there's so many things that we could talk about um, that's that's happening now. I've been I've been following it and you know watching some of the live um, live feeds um, from the sideshows, as it were. Um, I mean, what what are your thoughts on COP twenty six? I mean, they've they've had the supposed um, <laughs> thing about um, coal emissions and and things. But how are you are you are you optimistic about it? Are you kind of what you're hearing? Are you how are you feeling about it? I wish I wish I was, um, but well, really no. And everybody says this is the last chance to save the planet mm. um which is in a way true because we can't wait for a moment on the other hand it's not true because you even even when we're 20 years from now and the situation is much worse we should still try to we should always do our best so there's never really like a last chance but yeah if we want to keep this planet more or less as it is if we want to uh, really keep warming under one and a half degrees Celsius, the only viable option is that we now would have an amazing outcome of COP26, where all the countries in the world, and especially let's say the leading 20 or so countries that produce something like 70 or 80% of all the emissions, if they would come together and say, okay, this is enough. Now we really stop. Now we are rapidly going to, 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 to stop um uh with uh, with all all emissions and, and build that down as fast as possible any outcome of cop 26 that is not a dramatic announcement of so many countries that they are really really going to do what they should do now is a failure and so in that sense you can say this is a massive failure that doesn't mean that i don't embrace you know all the little things that come out of it of course we should stop deforestation but we had promised that already before uh, already for 2030 but we now do it again I, I can only be happy about it let's let's hope it works this time although the declarations from countries like like brazil and and indonesia that gave a completely different interpretation to what you and i read uh, are not very helpful um, of course, I like outcomes on methane. Of course, we 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 anything you can do on on coal is positive, but we our leaders worldwide still seem to miss the point that this is really a matter of life and death, and that we that 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 we just don't have the luxury anymore to postpone. And so I'm, I'm very with, you know, the, 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 the young generation uh, led, led by Greta Thunberg, who, who is saying, you know, we, we, we simply don't have the time. We have to take our responsibility. We have to act. Mm -hmm. um, and what they also seem to miss is that there's, um, there's so much positive news. I mean, by, 
by taking the right action by basically in one word it is just you know stop burning fossil fuels and then and then if you want to add one other word it should be deforestation or land use and then then you catch already basically the whole problem um and there there are so much positive things that we can do so for instance if you stop burning fossil fuels or drastically reduce it we get cleaner air we lose every year in the world uh, millions of people i think the number is something like seven million a year or eight or nine million people a year we lose by bad air quality caused by the burning of fossil fuels mm -hmm. um, instead what do countries do worldwide uh, the iea that that that, that um, um uh, sorry the irena the, the international renewable energy agency has has calculated that worldwide governments give 20 times as much subsidy on fossil fuels than they subsidize renewable energy mm. so we are subsidizing the wrong thing and we we governments keep making that mistake all the time suppose we would just turn that around you, you, you start by saving these millions of lives. Isn't, isn't that fantastic? Imagine all the suffering of all these people dying. That is not necessary. Um, think of all the jobs that you can create, of all the innovation that we can do. That's, that's just, we can really, we can make a better world. And on top of that, for those that are not so much interested in humanitarian aspects, but, but like to, to watch their wallet, it's a good return on investment to now go for a better course and make the right investments um because it's it's economically it makes perfectly good sense the cost that we make now to to change the whole system that got us into this into all these these troubles um are a fraction of what we would later later save um by making those investments now so we just have to to change the whole system and and one of the the problems that we have is that governments are never too creative in in really making uh, dramatic changes uh, they only do so when it is so visible that you really can't escape it let's say in times of war uh, you often you often see good governance uh, even though war itself is not something I would I would advertise as as good governance, but but if you think, for instance, I mean, look at look at what Churchill did. Uh, in in you know, you the UK looked lost. Uh, the Nazi Germany had taken over all of Europe, and this 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 relatively little island where you are living against this this massive landmass of Europe that's been taken over by fascism, and then while a lot of politicians and actually most politicians in in london were at the point of of kind of giving up and 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 find some kind of peace in our time kind of solution they have this one leader that just says that's rubbish we're not going to do that we're not going to give in to this bully and even though we're completely alone and there was no united states that was helping them we are going to fight this fight and uh and that bravery has 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 been rewarded and 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 churchill was right he managed to get everybody on board he showed leadership in in a time and that was needed and it is that kind of leadership that that we lack so much there's too much business as usual there's too much influence of the of the of the of the businesses on decision making um especially in the united states i mean what you now see happening with a guy like joe Manchin, who gets two thirds of his income not as a salary as a senator but being paid by the fossil fuel industry 
who is then stopping uh, any kind of, of, of legislation that would actually improve yeah. um, uh, the, 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 the situation on the planet and would, and would, and would, would, would help to fight climate change. That is a disgrace. How is it possible that, and, and then I'm not even talking about the other half of, of all American parliamentarians uh, for, for, for the other party uh, that, that are fully in the pocket of the fossil fuel industry. Yeah. How is that possible? How can, how can people accept this? And that's another thing that I wonder, where is the anger? I mean, the anger that I see with young people that are worried that are out in the streets why are we not out in the streets because we see what is happening we see that we as 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 people are betrayed by the the the, the, the personal and the business interest of of a very small elite why isn't there why aren't we out there protesting why aren't we changing the system how is it possible that we all just accept that we see the whole planet just just being wasted and I mean, I am probably the least likely protester that you would ever meet. You know, I'm a diplomat. I'm supposed to be very nuanced in my opinions, and and but it's it it just it it puzzles me what it, what it, what is going on, and that's why in my newsletter I sometimes write about I've done it now several times about the historians in 100 years from now that are looking back at this period and that they are just puzzled. Why are we? why are we taking action on yeah. uh, on the pandemic and we certain and we we listen to the scientists and we put them on television Every, everybody's got now this this national uh, fauci kind of, of 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 national scientist that's on television and, and we listen to their opinion and we believe in science and we invest in 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 in, in new uh, medicines and, and vaccination and why for the other big crisis we we are kind of ignoring the science and we're not taking the right measure. So yeah, that was a much too long answer to um, to your question about COP26. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I fear I'm, I'm disappointed. I fear I'll be disappointed as well. Uh, I will embrace any flicker of light that comes out of it with, 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 you know, some kind of, of deals on, on specific subjects. Uh, I, I welcome all of them but it's, it's not the massive change that we need. No, no, I, I think you're right. I think as well, I mean, you say, why aren't we all rising up? I think there's a lot of, we, we are very comfortable how we are, you know, everything is happening as it were. I mean, in the UK, we had the, um, with the petrol, um, you yeah. know, obviously because there was other issues going on there, but that put the wind up everybody. I mean, because it's like, oh, hang on a minute, we can't drive our car. So we were thinking in a different way. It's almost like we've, if we turned it off, if we turned petrol off like immediately or you know slowly or something then it would make it would make people rise up and, and and think about hang on a minute this is a real thing that's happening when it actually affects you i think it's not really affecting people on a day-to-day -day basis and and i think sort of yeah. that's well um, not people in the west uh, remember yeah. there's now uh, a million hungry people in madagascar that never ever get in the media uh, there's uh, 500,000 children in southern Madagascar that are now going hungry and about 100,000 of them are at risk of not surviving until February. Um, where is this in the media? Where is the anger about this? Yeah. We only need um, uh, something like 60 or 70 million dollars to solve this problem. 
mm. um, to at least feed them until until the, the next harvest that might come in in April. Um, why don't we pay that money? That is just, you know, Jeff Bezos earns that in an afternoon or something. Why don't we why don't we help these people? They're dying as as we speak. And it's so in the West, we experience it much less. And, 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 and of course, when, you know, when there's a flooding in Germany, then, then, you know, it's, it's for, for, for months all over in, in, in the media. And of course that's dramatic, mm -hmm. but we talk about hundreds of thousands of children right now as we speak. And most people that hear me now talking about Madagascar haven't even, even heard of this famine, mm -hmm. which is hundred percent caused by climate change it's not caused by war or bad governance or anything else it is it is it's it's a climate change famine mm. makes you wonder why why isn't it in the media you just said why isn't it all over the media is it because the media is controlled by certain people or certain things that you know they're, they're not allowed to have it so that's why independent reporting independent publications you know which are free from advertising and free from everything else they're probably circulated there, but are people reading them? I mean, the people that would make a difference or the, you know, where the voices would rise up, they're not getting access to this information. I think that's no. probably a big issue. And social media as well is all algorithm based, isn't it? So there is a control there as well. So no. how we how we change that or how that's, you know, how that is shifted. I don't know. There's a, there's a bigger question there, technology or whatever. I don't well, know. One of these changes is the rise of independent newsletters. That's also yeah. why I started writing mine because yeah. I I read increasingly uh, independent newsletters yeah. uh, that uh, that are uh, of people that I trust and I want to read their opinion. Uh, many of them I know already from Twitter, but there you only have what is it two hundred eighty characters or so. so you, you can you can you can basically just shout at each other. <laughs> uh, whereas in the newsletter, people can really you know, they come back with with history. They explain things, and yeah. uh, uh, let's say those those uh, newsletters from from Heather Cox Richard, Richardson about um, the 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 nowadays politics in America. Mm -hmm. I think they are way better than anything I read in in in, in the major newspapers that I'm following, and so I think that is that is a positive trend and i i understand this rise of, of newsletters during the pandemic it suddenly became big so it's, it's basically in the last year that they really started to 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 grow yeah. and i i think it's because people are disappointed in in the classic big mm. media uh, yeah. because they are they have influence of, of money etc People have become much more disappointed about social media because it 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 didn't bring what it did promise when it it all started some some ten years ago, um, because of all these algorithms etc. And it's just it it seems to um, to reward extreme opinions. And uh, so if if you want to nuance and if you want to know the background and if you if you really want to know the story, then the independent newsletters are are really an interesting trend to follow, and you and you see that that all of these uh, these independent platforms are now growing. I mean, like 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 things like Substack and and Revue and 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 um, and, and Patreon, etc. They are rapidly growing because people they're fine to people they trust and 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 the nuances that they are looking for. I think the conversation is a really good one, which is a free newsletter, uh, also really worth to 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 follow. They always have really interesting interesting pieces, 
and um yeah so there's so there's i think it's 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 a good trend um but of course it's a tiny percentage of the population probably the already more well-educated people that read from different sources that are following uh, these kinds of, of of newsletters and uh it's 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 probably not uh the followers of fox news that are the first ones to to take subscription to a newsletter i wish they did yeah absolutely well it's kind of one of the reasons why i've set up the this journal of biophilic design um is to try and educate people and try and share knowledge and ideas and get conversations and dialogue and debate going and questions and and inspiring people to actually make a difference as well um i mean maybe we could, can talk back a, a little bit about the sort of biophilic design aspect i mean my sort of secret wish, I suppose, well, it's not so secret. I do actually splash it all over the website. But um, I'm I'm hoping that if you know, with 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 if in environments where biophilic design has been implemented, so where there's like plants and trees, and where there's better air quality and better better sound, and um, you know, textures remind you of nature and all these things. So we you know we haven't changed much since lives on the plains. Um, I'm hoping that by by trying to encourage this design principle, which is better for us you know it's been proven you know through science and through environmental psychology and everything that being surrounded by nature is better for us for our mental well-being as well as our physical well-being you know reduces our cortisol levels and everything um i mean do you how do you feel about that i mean do you feel that um if i mean obviously the biophilic design principle if you do you how would you do you feel that if if um nature was more included like you're not talking about just nature-based solutions like just planting loads of trees in, in, a, in an area which i think is really important but actually bringing like a biophilic design um concept into the built environment would be a positive step to help spark people's imaginations and, and inspiration to make a difference yeah oh yeah I'm, I'm i'm fully on board with you yeah i um there's so much to say about this uh I, for instance um just planting trees in in cities uh makes an enormous change in in many ways there's of course the well-known psychological uh i don't know how well known it is but but let's say the the impact that being surrounded by trees that it has on uh on your own well-being yeah. they've researched it with uh, children in london uh that um uh, children growing up that spend time uh, in in areas with trees, not so much grasslands, but it should really be forest, has a remarkable change on their mental health and also on their their cognitive um, uh, functions of of, the, of their brain. So that is one part. But there's also when when you look at, for instance, climate change, that an an area of a city with trees. Uh, is can much better withstand a heat wave than without trees yeah. and then you see uh, climate change always you know within two sentences i'm, I'm back at inequality um, if you see for instance cities in america you see that the black neighborhoods have a fraction of the amount of trees that you find in white neighborhoods mm -hmm. so the white neighborhoods that already have more air conditioning and and houses built better to withstand heat have the extra advantage of uh, of having those uh, those trees around you so it gets much much more hot uh during a heat wave in in the areas where there, there are no trees and often you find the ones that are that are lower in 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 the social hierarchy of of uh, of a country 
that are that are living in those areas um so yeah so that's another aspect and then i think it's also it's just my own experience i just sometimes deeply feel the need to go into nature to walk in 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 forest because i feel better and that is not for for all the the scientific stuff or so it's just something that i recognize i've, I've seen it with friends of mine that have had a burnout they always get the advice of 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 doctors you know just just go walking go walking in a forest and and it you immediately feel better and i I really experienced that myself as well. And then if you look, for instance, in, in numbers for England, uh, there's 10% of the youth in the UK has in the past year not spent a minute in nature. Nature being defined as including a beach or a park. We're not talking about, you know, going hiking in the Scottish Highlands. Just a city park was already earmarked as nature. 10% of the British youth doesn't spend a minute in a full year in, in, in those kind of areas. That is, that is just, that should be forbidden by law. I mean, you should, in, in education programs at school, there, there should be a curriculum about learning about nature. We are not, nature is not something like, you know, a cinema where you pay some money that you can go in there and enjoy the cinema. We are part of nature. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it should be in, 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 in when we grow up, we need to be, spend time in nature. We should be surrounded by it. We should also understand na nature and respect nature. Mm -hmm. And it would make a huge change if we would, would add some kind of, I don't know, there are probably people have written PhDs on this if you start looking for it. But I would say, call it whatever, nature education or something that you, that you just um have into you know primary schools and secondary education um so yeah so I, I i believe very much in it and 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 it's um it's a pity that it's often seen as a kind of kind of luxury i would love to see that uh you know not some kind of you know the the the, the falling water house of of or, or or you know those kind of famous structures that are you know the normal people can't pay but i would love to see that in 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 you know if you, if you just build a new area or rebuild an area for just for the average people mm -hmm. that that they have enough access to green in the design of their house um in 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 the design of the neighborhood uh, that there's parks and that there's trees around um and any tree helps we we need more trees in the world uh it's 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 the best uh carbon capture and storage uh that uh that the world has ever designed is is called a tree it's not some kind of factory in iceland where they try to soak up the the carbon out of the air <laughs> um it's 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 just trees and they have they need to be part of our lives yeah yeah absolutely do you have a, an example of a of a green city or like a sort of you know that you've maybe visited or you know i mean obviously i i love you know singapore and they've got the beautiful um you know indoor waterfall and stuff like that but have you got a like an example of a city you know because you've traveled all over the place that you've or a place doesn't have to be a city but you know that's really um really stands out for you as being like a biophilic city yeah, well, the first one that comes to mind is the city where where I studied, uh, Utrecht. So, for for those who don't know, that's that's uh, the the a major university city uh, in in Netherlands. Actually, best university 
elected as the best university in the past 10 or 15 years by now in the Netherlands. Um, and and it's, it's let's say, uh, an hour away from uh, from Amsterdam. Utrecht is a, is a classic old European city that started like a thousand years, oh, 2000 years ago. The Romans started it. Mm -hmm. And um, it, uh, I, I've, I've come back ever since I studied there. And that city has an amazing policy of greening the city the, the, it's really difficult to get in now by car if you really have to you can do it but it's just taken over by the bicycles um and something else for instance that they did that like a typical uh european city it it used to have a wall around it with with, with water to keep uh, to keep the enemy out um uh then when we no leader no longer needed to defend against uh, the spanish armies or whomever was attacking us uh, <laughs> we, we we made it like a park landscape but then what happened in the 1960s was that we wanted to modernize everything so a part of this um this green ring around the city center was then paved uh, was 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 uh, paved into into a kind of six lane highway or something and it, it led from nothing to nowhere in, in in the middle of the city and recently i saw that they have removed all that brought it back to just a two-lane street and all the green is brought back uh, there's again there's water you can now in 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 a boat um, uh, sail around the center of the city so it's typically a city that is that is greening uh, very much. Um, if you look at the design of houses, um, first idea that comes up um, is the work of, of Cesar Manrique, uh, an, an artist who uh, who worked uh, from uh, the mid '60s till I think the early '90s uh, on the island of Lanzarote. It's one of the, the Canary Islands, which is not at all a green island. It's uh, it's all and people describe it as a kind of lunar uh, landscape uh, because it's very volcanic and 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 in a in a relatively hot zone the eastern canary islands are rather rather dry but he was really building with nature so he used these these volcanic landscapes to build his house there um beautiful embedded architecture within um within what nature gave him so he uses the local materials um brings in uh, plants and and little swimming pools etc um but very much within the uh within what nature gave him so for instance I, there's there's a, a huge window in the house where the stream of lava that was coming towards the house of course before it was built was kept intact so the the lava is actually coming into the house into the living room and and the window is just going going through there so if, if you're ever around there um have a look uh it's uh and and all this work is very much uh, nature inspired um and i think if you go to the more let's say societies that are closer to nature you see that their houses and their architecture is built with local uh, yeah. material and it it, it just just blends in with the landscape and there's hardly um a kind of border between where the house stops and where uh where where the the green grows is 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 coming so if you, if you look at whatever let's say the traditional building methods in um 
of 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 the Anasazi in 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 um, in Arizona or so. They they just used what they had, and that is just you just blend in your living with the nature. And that's now we try to do it a bit the other way around. You know, we 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 built our house and then we put nature in. You know, we we cut some tulips and we put them in a vase. <laughs> that's um uh, i love tul tulips but that's actually the, the wrong way we should have those plants living in our house yeah uh, and our house should 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 extend into into nature um and as i said it shouldn't be it shouldn't be a luxury for rich houses it it, it should be something much more common uh in in the design of new houses that are closer to nature and that are also much more um prepared to to deal with the, the the new demands that 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 we will have on housing in in a rapidly changing climate, they will have to deal with more extreme heat, yeah. with uh, sudden downpours of water, yeah. uh, and and um, and and all those kind of things. And if that sudden downpour of water takes place, don't surround your house with concrete that it immediately flows away. But you know, have a garden that that absorbs it and slowly gives it back to nature. Those those kind of of yeah. elements. Yes, yeah, so I'm always you. I, I fully support everything that you're working on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I always it always drives me nuts when someone moves in and they they drip up their garden and they put you know a load of concrete you know really all sealed up and you know there's nothing that can climb and grow in between it and then they worry when their when their house gets flooded because there's been a big rainfall and you're like yeah, well if you know if you left yeah. the grass there you would have kind of like you know the rain would have absorbed and you stuck a tree in it and you would have absorbed yeah. the rainwater you know so anyway I know, the I know. these, these yeah. stupid leaf blowers i mean i'm here now in, in ottawa and i was i was afraid that before you know you would put on the recording that these leaf blowers would, would pass by again because they are they're everywhere every little leaf where which the insects need to to put their put their eggs in etc they're all being blown away with these little motors that yeah. produce an extreme amount of pollution they don't use so much fossil fuels but the pollution they create because of the way it is constructed is horrible I, I read somewhere that driving from here to california creates just as much pollution as half an hour of one leaf blower there's another thing this is forbidden by law i mean they're, they're noisy they're just they're destroying nature just leave those leaves there they're they're you know yeah. we need these nutrients back in the ground and um, we need them for the insects Yes, we do. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I love that, actually. And I think the, the sound of them is so obnoxious. As I said, I was staying in the Cotswolds and I woke up in the morning and outside my house, outside the um, the, the, the apartment I was staying in, oh, what the heck is that noise? A, there was a B, B-52 bomber going over my head because I was right near yeah. a, a military air base. But then there was this leaf blower. So the guys were there, you know, yeah. I'm like, I, I used to love it when I was a kid, you know, that lovely sound of the guy sweeping or, you know, woman sweeping yeah. the, the leaves. I did it. I did it the other day. There was like loads on the steps in the communal steps just here yeah. where I live. And there was me with a witch's broom. <laughs> but it was actually yeah. the process of it, the sound of the 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 sticks on the on the yeah. on the ground with the leaves moving and the crispness yeah. and that whole holistic kind of commune with with nature i think we should we should go back to that and that's kind of where i'm where i'm at with all of this really but um yeah i could uh, i could bang on about it for forever i suppose but <laughs> you know um it's good to know about the leaf blower i kind of i'm going to recite that when when my neighbor gets theirs out <laughs> yeah. it's not just leaf blowers it's also <laughs> so people want to have their grass clean but 
why do we all have so much grass? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I plead guilty too because I also have grass, but that's crazy. Dra grass is like like a desert. Let just you know all the all the all the herbs wow. grow there, and and, uh, yeah. and that, that's 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 just much more biodiverse, and there's more to look at. The grass is rather boring. But I imagine if you want to play a match of football, that you need a, a field of grass, but you don't need it in 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 your gardens gardens are much more fun if they're if there's less grass and and more stuff growing totally i totally agree with you well um i mean i there's so many things i could ask you and talk about and everything but um i'm i'm gonna wind up because i'm sure you've got you've got a paper to write so uh, but i i there's a there's a question i ask everybody right at the end of every podcast and it's kind of like a magic question it's like a fantasy question but one day you never know we might see it if you could paint the world with a magic brush of biophilia, what would it look like? Oh, wow. Um, I would say much greener cities because, but um, by um, already more than half of the people lives in, in cities and that, and that is increasing. So by, by 2050 and in, in less than 30 years from now, uh, another two and a half billion people will, uh, will move into the cities. Um, and those cities are um, are often just masses of, of concrete and cars and dirt, etc. Um, just imagine what you can do if you if you create a different concept for the city. I don't want to say we, we throw out all cars and all houses, etc. But if you just create more space for green, you can make it so much more livable. Um, I mean, here in a city like 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 Ottawa, I'm just uh, I, I, on one hand, I realize how well we often do it in Europe, but but here this this central business district is so dead. Uh, there's just just you all only these glass, concrete, uh, high rise offices. Uh, there's nothing green, etc. Imagine if you just would close, let's say, ten or twenty percent of the streets, and you allow there maybe a bicycle lane and, and 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 for the rest it's for pedestrians and then imagine what you can do with that space you can there you make, you can make parks you can you can you can plant trees you can you can encourage you know the the, the houses left and right of the streets that they use more plants etc to put outside you can make it a much more greener uh, landscape and there's there's examples all over the world where uh, where it worked where it's just so much nicer I mean why is a city like Boulder in Colorado nice uh, well the main thing that Boulder has to offer well it's, it's it's two things one is that there was a small stream small river that goes uh, through the city and they're left and right of the water they created green spaces people are jogging there now they're having a picnic or they they cycle there and the other thing is that just one of the many streets, they um, uh, Pearl Street, they in the 1970s already they closed it for traffic, and that is now such a wonderful area for you know shopping, drinking your coffee, enjoying you know the monuments that are there and the plants and 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 everything that's out there. Uh, so I would say uh, green cities, and it's it's um we know how to do it we have the examples and again just like climate change it is just a political will and 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 that's where all of us come in we should just vote for politicians that actually do the right thing 
that we as the people want, not what companies or vested interests want. And I, I'm sure that if you just ask people in the street, would you like this, you know, option A uh, with uh, a, a, a completely concrete jungle, or would you prefer this picture where we take the same street, but we've painted it green with a magic brush? I'm sure that practically everyone would say, I, I prefer the green version, and I believe that it's doable and we should go to go for that. Thank you for listening to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast.